Romans 6, chapter 12 is where we are. Chapter 12. Romans 6, verse number 12 tonight is where we are. The goal is 713. It's optimistic, I understand. It's bold, but we're trying. If we don't get there, well, we'll land wherever we are. This is our last session for tonight for this quarter. So we will try to press along as best we can. Hold in your mind sin. That is the problem. Uh, sin is the problem. And they have been freed from sin in this chapter. How were they freed from sin? That's verse 3 through 5. Through obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ is how one is freed from sin. We were in verse number 12, where after coming out of the watery grave of baptism, well, you and I still have mortal bodies. As a result of that, we can still sin. And so what Paul says is, don't go back. Don't return to your former life. Verse number 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey its lust. Sin is exposed. It's, uh, it's weak and it's unable of conquering us unless you let it, unless you submit to it. And Paul has been arguing about grace and about faith and one who knows God's righteousness, Christ's sacrifice, the gospel's power. You've died with Christ. You now live with him. You've been justified. If you don't try to use law to justify, if you serve God with your spirit, if we know we have been justified, all of those things are in this chapter. He says, then don't let sin reign. Don't let sin keep lying to you. Don't let it keep deceiving you. It's been exposed. It's been revealed. It's defeated. And you are now alive. And so verse 13 continues. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. He's going to talk about our bodies, this chapter and the next one. And these bodies are under the control of our spirits. And these bodies have passions. He'll talk about momentarily. But he says, you are the one doing it. You're using your body. You're presenting your body as instruments of sin. And those instruments are being used in unrighteousness. But because you have died to sin, because you've been risen with Christ, he says, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but instead do this. Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Well, how were they dead? Dead in sins and trespasses. That's what you were, but you're alive now. And now that you're alive unto righteousness, present your members used. Same body. Now use it for righteousness and use your instruments as righteousness to God. Verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law or under law, but under grace. Sin shall not be master over you. The reason it won't be master over you is you are not under law, but under grace. First, let's talk about the grace piece. Grace prevents us from being deceived by sin. Sin can't use grace against us. Being under grace places our focus on God, not on ourselves. 
just as we just discussed in 1 Corinthians 1. Our glory is in God. We give Him the glory. Grace will prevent sin from using law against us. Grace prevents boasting. Chapter 3, verses 24 to 28, Paul asks, where is boasting? Well, there is no boasting in God's grace. Grace prevents works, human works. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Grace is a free gift, chapter 5, 15 and 18. And so sin can't use a free gift to convince the recipients to trust in their own power. Instead, they appreciate the gift and the one who gave it. Now, what does law have to do with sin? Well, he will explain it in much more detail in the next chapter, but sin used the law to put them in bondage. Sin will be personified in chapter 7. It will be given life. Sin will be able to talk, and we will give insights or have insights into sin, into its actions, into its intentions, its thoughts, and its goals. Sin is the problem, has been from the beginning, and sin is why justification is needed. Now then, to this end, you are not under law. Well, what law does he mean? You could argue a whole bunch of laws because there are many mentioned. Either he means you are not under a law of works. Back in chapter 3 and verse 27, he says there, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. Or he means you're not under the law of Moses anymore. Well, look at chapter 7 for just a second. And notice what he says there. He says in chapter 7, verse 1, I speak to them that know law. In chapter 7 and verse 7, he tells us what law they know. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law has said, or not said, you shall not covet. The law in question is the law that said, thou shalt not covet. He says, you are not under law. Well, the Jews once were. He doesn't mean that Christians are under no law. Well, he doesn't mean that because chapter 8 and verse 1 says, therefore, there is now no, for, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set us free from the law of sin and death. So he doesn't mean there's no law. Also, Galatians 6, 1 and 2 talks about bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. It's likely what they did was they took the law of Moses and turned it into a law of works. And what sin did was take advantage of the law. It could be because they boasted in the law, trusted their works, brought their, they believe, it brought their righteousness. Paul says you're not under that law anymore. He doesn't mean all law. He doesn't even mean to speak ill of the law of Moses, just their use of it and sins taking advantage of them by that. In order for sin to conquer them again, verse number 12, they would have to submit to it. They'd have to let it. He says, don't let it rain. They would have to yield to it. Verse number 13, do not go on presenting your members of your body to sin. They would have to allow it. Verse number 14, sin shall not be over you or master over you. You're not under law, but you are under grace. Verse number 15, nearly every time the subject of grace comes up, 
it's followed closely by the thought of, does grace mean I get to sin? And it comes up here again in verse number 15. Since we're not under law but under grace, what then, verse 15 asks, shall we sin? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. It seems every time grace comes up, that is what's followed. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. All are under sin, chapter 3 and verse 9. Sin brings death, chapter 5 and verse 12. Grace abounded over sin, chapter 5, verses 15 and 20. And immediately, chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 ask, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's ask here again. And every time, Paul says, may it never be. God forbid. His grace is not intended to induce sin. His grace actually, as he will get much more into it in chapter 7, his grace is intended to expose sin for how awful it is so that we would not want to do it. Not intended for us to use it and then take his grace and turn it into lasciviousness. Sin took advantage of the law, convincing those under it that they must work their way to justification. Now, sin cannot do that to grace unless we turn grace into a system of law. Sin could convince those under grace, as is the question here, that grace allows license to sin. And it has. Some people have gotten the grace of God so fixed in their mind or their misunderstanding of it that they conclude, since we have grace, then it doesn't matter what you do, and you can never fall therefrom. Well, sin is taking advantage of grace then, because the Bible is very clear. You can fall from grace. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4 says it in just those words, but there's a host of other passages that would teach the same. Hebrews 3, 7 into chapter 4 comes to mind. So, grace could be taken advantage of by sin. Grace could be taken advantage of if sin could convince those who are under it that repentance is not necessary, that there's nothing you have to do. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 and 31, when you read those passages, the Bible says that God commands all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is a command. God is commanding you. There are requirements under grace. He's commanding you to repent. He's not asking. In Acts chapter 10, verses 46 to 48, at the home of Cornelius, Peter commanded them to be baptized. He didn't ask them. He didn't say it'd be a good idea. He commanded them to be baptized. Acts 10, 46 to 48, your rendering may serve the word ordered. Grace could be taken advantage of if you believe grace has no requirements and God doesn't judge. Well, sin is taking advantage of grace then. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Colossians 3.25, he that does wrong shall, be, uh, shall receive for the wrong which he has done. There's no respect of a person. Sin could take advantage of grace if it could convince you that sinning presumptuously is okay because of God's grace. And it's not. Galatians 5 and verse 13, we're not to use the grace of God and turn it into licentiousness or lasciviousness. Jude chapter 1 and verse number 4 as well. Verse number 16, 
do you not know, as he continues to answer the question of 14 and 15, do you not know? And from here, really to the end of the chapter, he talks about this idea of being in bondage to sin or in bondage to God, a slave to sin or a slave to God, a slave to disobedience or a slave to obedience. And so he says in verse number 16, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? And here are the options, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Just go back up to verse 12 and read down to verse 16 and look at what he says. Verse 12, let it not rain, therefore. What? Don't let sin rain. Verse 13, don't present your members as instruments. Verse 14, sin will have no mastery. Verse 16, do you not know in order for you and them to become enslaved to sin, it is a voluntary submission to sin. They have two options. You can be slaves to sin, and the result of that, the end of that is death, or you can be slaves to obedience, and the end of that is righteousness. The Jews and the Gentiles traveled the same road and they ended in the same place. I shouldn't say they traveled the same road because really they took two different paths to get to the same destination. The Gentiles cast God off, chapter 1, and then they went about and made up their own rules. The Jews had God's law from heaven, and they simply turned that into a works-based, merit-based system, adding their traditions, setting aside God's word, and so they then invented their own path. The Gentiles went their way, the Jews went their way, but both of them ended being dominated by sin. Both of them ended in futility. Neither one had a way out of the place in which they were. And what's at stake is they had both presented themselves to sin, and sin became their master. And so we read chapter 1, the Gentiles gave up God and God gave them up. And what did he say to the Jews? You did the same thing. And so he concludes in chapter 3, what? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have already proved they are all under sin. Chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How does anyone get out of that? being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. How did they get out in Rome, the Jews and the Gentiles, within the body of Christ? Chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, Jesus, have been baptized into his death? That's how they got out. Now he is saying, do not Present yourself. Don't let sin reign. It still wants the place. It still wants to dominate. Don't go presenting your members. Don't let it be your master. Do you not know to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants you are. Verse number 17, Paul says, but thanks be to God, you'll note the past tense, that you were 
slaves of sin. Well, who were slaves to sin? Both of them were. You were slaves to sin, but you became obedient from the heart by that form of doctrine or teaching to which you were committed. I'll do my best not to get off because we don't have time, but you notice this expression. King James says form of doctrine, pattern of teaching. For those who sow, that's the word, a pattern. You're going to take something, you're going to follow it, and you're going to produce something. Well, the pattern, the form here is teaching. It's the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. How does one get out of sin? How does one stop being dominated by that? You were that. How did you get out? You obeyed from the heart that form of teaching, that pattern of teaching. Sometimes it may creep into your mind as we could sound narrow-minded, we could sound isolationistic, we could sound like we are just over here pharisaical, we could sound like that. I understand, because the world has accepted everything. Someone standing up and saying, you got to do it a particular way, they sound like the problem. That would make Paul the problem, because he is telling both Jew and Gentile, the way out of sin is Jesus Christ and the gospel, and there is no other way. Question, what did they preach in Acts 2 to the Jews? I'll answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 22 to 24, you killed him, God raised him from the dead. When Peter arrived at the house of Cornelius, scratch that, go back a chapter or two, what did they preach to those who were part Jews in Samaria? Acts chapter 8. They preached Christ unto them, and they were baptized, Acts 8, 12, and 13. And then Simon was baptized, and then the eunuch, see, here's water, was hindering me to be baptized. Now then, when they preached it to a non-Jewish person, the first Gentile convert, what is it that Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts 10? The same gospel. Everybody is freed from the prison of sin the exact same way. Everybody needs the gospel. Paul says, thanks be to God, you were the servants of sin. How did you get out? He said, you obeyed from the heart that form of teaching which was committed to you. What happened as a result of that? Verse 18, freedom. And having been freed from sin, notice what they're freed from. They're freed from sin. Keep sin in your mind. I know there's a lot of law, talk about the law, a lot of talk about that, and people can get fixated on the law. He keeps saying, you are freed from sin. Sin is the problem. And the gospel freed the Jew and the Gentile from sin. The result of that is you became slaves of righteousness. Verse number 19, he says, now we, sh well, man, it's so hard not to, not to, not to, nope, 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 not going to do it. Circle back. Verse 19, it's so easy to slide into preaching when you're teaching. I, I just, <laughs> I was about to get over there and get going. I felt the soap lathering. I'm not going to do it. Verse 19. 
Paul says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members, and the Bible does this. It, it restates things. It might say it slightly different this time, but it says it largely again and again and again. This won't read much different than what we read. And so he says again, listen, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. But just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, they did that. But he just said that back in verse 16 and 15 or 14 and 15 and 16. Do not go on presenting your members, that's 13, your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification. They had presented themselves one way, and now he's saying, now use that same body, that same energy, different mindset, and submit yourself and use your instruments as righteousness resulting in sanctification. We have condemnation, one brother said, chapters 1 through 3, justification, chapters 4 through 6, and now sanctification, chapter 6 over to chapter 15. Well, Paul says now use your members as righteousness to sanctification, to growing in the grace of God, to becoming more and more transformed into his image, the image of his son. Verse number 20, down to the end of the chapter, live like saved people. For when you were, again, note the past tense, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. This is one more of those examples of how you can't live in both. You can't be alive to both. You can't, 1 John 1, 6 and 7, you can't walk in darkness and walk in the light. When you were alive to sin, well, you were dead to righteousness. You, you weren't participating in that in any way. Conversely, if you're alive to righteousness or freed into righteousness, well, then you can be dead to sin. And so he asked, what benefit was it? Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. And that is the result of sin. It leads to shame. And so Paul asked the question, what benefit did you have? And if you ask Christians in general, certainly here as well, was there any benefit to a sinful life? Nope. A lot to be ashamed of. Looking back, though, I wish I hadn't done it. That's a cruel master. Uh, that dominated my life, and there wasn't a lot of good back there. What benefit of it? Sin? To me? None. That's what he's asking. You go back. Live it out in your own mind. But he's asking the brethren here, what, what, what good was it? Sin has this uh, deceptive ability to make you believe it's good for you. It's just not true. And when asked, having been freed from it, hopefully you can see it for what it is. What benefit were there to those things? Uh, now, he says, you're ashamed of. And aren't we? Aren't we glad that as Christians, in order to become a Christian, you don't have to sit and tell anybody your sins? You just have to thank God he's washing them away? There's a whole lot of shame in it, but there's no good in it. He says there was, there was shame back there. Was that any good? And so verse 22 returns to the thought. Well, now keep reasoning properly. 
But now having been freed again from what? From sin. They're not freed from problems. They're not freed from persecution. They're not freed from the ill treatment of people. They're not freed from time and chance happening to us all. They're not freed from the loss of loved ones. They're not freed from that. What they're freed from is sin, which means you can be freed from sin and all of that other stuff can absolutely still happen in your life. That's not the stuff you use to decide rightness with God. You use Christ and his shed blood to determine rightness with God. Justification is through the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, and you get freed from what? Freed from sin. What are you now free to do? Having been freed from sin, you are now enslaved to God. You derive your benefit here, resulting in sanctification, and this ends eternal life. For the wages of sin... The cost, the price of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus our Lord. 